Northside Christian Church. It's great to be back and uh, again back here with my wife, Donisha, and we've just enjoyed ourselves this weekend. And so I definitely don't feel like a stranger when I'm here. I feel like family. And so, you know, since I'm family, I thought, you know, I've been here enough times that maybe you should know some of the nicknames that I'm called at my church in Sacramento, Midtown Church. So, of course, you know, there are people that call me Pastor Ephraim Smith, Pastor Ephraim, but then there's Pastor E, Dr. E, Little Rev, Urban Chocolate Angel, just a few (laughs) of the nicknames I have in Sacramento, California. So, you know, so you could just, next time I'm here again, you know, you now know me a little better. You have the freedom to call me one of those nicknames. The question that you're wrestling with uh, this week, I'm really going to try not to stray too far from that. You have the question, can Jesus restore my relationships? And I believe that this message is connected to that because it's really about who we are in our relationship with God and with our relationships with one another. Really what I'm trying to get to is who are we? What is our identity in Christ? So if you wouldn't mind joining me in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 9, Peter writes this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. From this text, I want to speak to you on the title, We Are Royalty. We Are Royalty. God, I pray that this would be your message. God, that I would ultimately just be the vessel, the vehicle, that you have decided to use to say what you want to say. To these, your beloved children, my sisters and brothers, God, I desire to be obedient to your word. So please let it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. We are royalty. We live in a world, sisters and brothers, where we seem to be fascinated with royalty, with royal people. I remember as a kid, like, the whole world making such a big deal out of Princess Diana. Ah, we, we still now are trying to keep up with what is really going on with Prince Harry and Meghan. <laughs> Just a few weeks ago, there was the coronation of King Charles. The whole world was watching. We are fascinated with royalty. My wife, Denise, and I, we were recently in the country of Ghana on the continent of Africa. And we went to the Cape Coast. We went to Accra. We were in a, in a town called Kumasi. And we also had a chance while we were there to go to the Ashanti Kingdom. 
I did not know a lot about the Ashanti kingdom. I know that it's connected to a recent movie, The Woman King, but I didn't know a whole lot about it. And while we were at the Ashanti kingdom, the word got out that we were going to have a chance to see the king. Now, even though I didn't know much about the Ashanti kingdom, I didn't know about the king of Ashanti, just the, the fact that they said the king is going to come out and you can see him. I mean, my eyes got big. I mean, I was like, wow, I get a chance to see a king. And, and maybe it was like 30 seconds I saw him come out and get into his motorcade. But it was a big deal because we are fascinated with royalty. Maybe as a boy, you dreamed about being a king or a knight in shining armor. Maybe as a girl, you dressed up as a princess or a queen. You turned your whole room into a kingdom where all of your subjects had to do whatever the queen said. You know, when I was in high school, I ran for homecoming king. And I got down to the final three. It was me and Pedro and Roman. And we were standing there at the big rally on homecoming day. We're standing there with our suits and they put the crown over Pedro's head and people were clapping. And they put the crown over my head and people started clapping. And then they put the crown over Roman's head and people were clapping. And then they put the crown over my head. Then they put it over Pedro's head. Then they put it over Roman's head. Then they put it back over my head. Then they put it over Pedro's head. And then they put the crown on Roman's head. I mean, I'm, I'm past this. I mean, I'm, I'm okay with it. Really. If I see Roman in the street, I mean, it's all right. But I didn't become the homecoming king. But that winter, in January, we had snow days. And I became the snow days king. I mean, it's not the same as the homecoming king, but I did get a crown. Yep, I sure did get one. We are fascinated with royalty. Some of us dream of being royalty. Some of us wish we could get half the treatment and respect and awe. But I came by to tell you today, in Christ Jesus, you are already royalty. In Christ Jesus, it is, is as if we are all the firstborn of God. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, and in Christ Jesus, you and I are royalty. We are truly a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a holy nation. This is who you and I are. You don't have to dream of becoming a queen, sister. You already are in Jesus. Brothers, you don't have to dream about being a king in Christ Jesus. You are through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are all royal. This is what Paul wanted those he was writing to originally and even now to know, that as believers, we are transformed in Christ Jesus. We are made royal. Peter's vision was connected to his own journey. Because Peter didn't always know that he was chosen. He didn't always know at least the significance of it. He didn't know that he was royal in Jesus. Matter of fact, his understanding of himself and of Jesus was quite limited, even though he was one of the original followers of Jesus. Even though he had these intimate moments 
This kind of VIP encounter with Jesus, it took him a while to truly know who Jesus was and is and who he was. Peter followed Jesus originally, hoping that he was mainly someone who was going to rally people to form an army to take on the Roman Empire and restore the nation, the kingdom of Israel. And Jesus disappointed Peter. Matter of fact, Peter, though he said to Jesus he would never deny him, when Jesus was arrested and on his way to the cross of Calvary, Peter denied Jesus three times. And even though the resurrected Jesus restores Peter, by the time we see Peter in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts, he still has some issues in knowing who he is, what he's called to. He is called in that chapter to go to the house of Cornelius. Socially, he and Cornelius are enemies. They come from different cultures, different ethnicities, different systems. In the world in which they live, they are opposed to one another. But Peter realizes that not only is he a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, he is called to reconciliation to go into the homes of people that don't look like him, that don't come from the same background as him, but yet there is this royal kingdom gospel agenda that moves him past his prejudice, his discrimination, in order to be in the home of Cornelius. And so here is Peter writing, and he's trying to get people to see that the good news of Jesus that creates a royal family is not just limited to Jewish people. It's for Jews and Gentiles. He's wanting them to know that even though they live in a world where they're seen as exiles, they are God's elect. What happens, sisters and brothers, when we see ourselves as royalty in Christ Jesus? It causes us not to live below who we really are. You don't have to spend your life performing, trying to prove to people that you are worthy and valuable and loved and gifted and special and chosen. It was already decided before you were formed in your mother's womb. It was decided that you are the beloved of God, that there is a purpose to your life. And in Christ Jesus, you see how royal you really are. Do not let this world, do not let the ultimate spiritual enemy keep you from knowing who you are, living as who you are. I mean, Satan even tried to do this with Jesus. He tried to tempt him in a desert place and convince him he was something else that he wasn't Messiah, that he wasn't Savior, that he wasn't King. Satan talked to Jesus as if he could offer the world to Jesus, as if he had more authority than Jesus. Don't let this world, don't let this enemy tempt you into living below who you really are. Sisters and brothers, we are royalty. Okay, now that I have the appetizers out the way, I'm going to get to the entree right now. I'm, I'm not going to hold you long. I'm going to give you three brief points. But now that we got past the French fries and the wings and the nachos and the tater tots and the, 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 the cheese curds, now 
We're going to get to the fried catfish, collard greens, macaroni and cheese, yams, <laughs> cornbread, sweet tea. And if God is willing, you might get some peach cobbler in this message too. Or you're going to go someplace good to eat as soon as we're done here. Um, so let me just briefly go, how do we know we're royal? We are royalty because, point one, in Christ we are made holy and royal. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 3, Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In Christ we are made holy and royal. In Christ, we're made new. Because of the death on the cross of Jesus, because of the resurrection of Jesus out of the grave, because of that, if we confess our sins, if we repent, if we agree that we need Jesus as our King, as our Savior, we are made new. New life. No longer sinners on our way to death, but we are now united with God in a special way on our way into eternal life. In Christ, we're made new. In Christ, we're made holy. We don't have it in our own power, sisters and brothers, to move ourselves from unholy to holy from unrighteous to righteous, from unjust to justified, from idolatrous to an intimate relationship with God. We don't have the ability to do this in our own power. We need Jesus, not just to make us new, but to make us holy and righteous and true. And in Christ, we're made royal. We're invited into the kingdom of God with the only begotten son. We're invited to live as royalty through Jesus. And we're also collectively made into something new. We are made a new community as the church. In 1 Peter, the second chapter, verse four, Peter writes, as you come to him, that's Jesus, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, when you become a Christian, we become the house the temple of God. The Holy Spirit resides in you to lead you, to comfort you, to guide you, to clarify things, to tutor, to mentor us from the inside out. You are, in Christ Jesus, a spiritual house, but we collectively are 
a spiritual house. As the church, we are a spiritual house. And so that clarifies who the church belongs to. Ultimately, Northside Christian Church doesn't belong to New Albany, doesn't belong to the state of Indiana, doesn't belong to the United States of America. This church belongs to God. This church at its best is not a, a mouthpiece or a speaker box of the United States of America, but it is an embassy of the kingdom of God, and you are citizens of that kingdom. So no matter the season you're in, no matter the transitions that you might find yourself in, know that this church belongs to God. God's hand is on this church. God's grace is flowing through this church. People will continue to be baptized. People will continue to become disciple makers. You will continue to have an impact in New Albany and beyond as long as you remember who you belong to, what kingdom you're connected to, what government truly reigns over this church in Christ in Christ we are made holy and royal so know that you're connected to a kingdom but not just any kingdom don't equate God's kingdom with the kingdoms of earth's past or earth's present because ultimately the church is not a fortress but a force of God's will in the world. This is not Buckingham Palace, but it's God's beloved children, God's beloved people. Point two, we are royalty because in Christ, we are not of this world. In Christ, we are not of this world. I'll go back to the text where I began. First Peter chapter two, beginning with verse nine, Peter writes, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. In Christ, we are not of this world. We are the people of God, not the people of this world. We are in this world, but as Jesus prayed in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, we are in this world, but not of this world. Now, the people that Peter was originally writing to, this would have made a lot of sense to them. This would have been easy for them to live into because they were living in the Roman Empire. But it was very clear 
that they were in the Roman Empire, but because of their belief in Christ Jesus, they were no longer of the Roman Empire because for following Jesus, for spreading the good news of the gospel, for, for standing in the truth of Jesus, this is what you got back in the Roman Empire. You were beaten, you were thrown in prison, you were crucified like Jesus, you were crucified upside down, you were beheaded, and under Nero, you were burned alive. These were the things that you received for following Jesus potentially in the Roman Empire. So they were clear that in Jesus, they were not of the Roman Empire because they were an oppressed, suffering, persecuted people. It was easy for them to understand what Peter was saying. In our nation, sometimes it's a little more challenging to see ourselves as being in the United States, but not being of the United States. And this is why it makes sense to me. I mean, it's Memorial Day weekend. Like, there are people that gave their lives fighting to defend this country so it could continue to be a place where we could worship Jesus like this in this nation with no fear of somebody coming in here and arresting us. I get it. I have family members that served this country. Some of my ancestors served this country, defended the rights of this country when they didn't yet at the time have the full rights of the country, but because they believed in the ideals and what it could be, they risked their lives for this nation. I, I get that. Amen. Okay, okay. Now, and, and, and I, you know, I, I get a vote. You know what I mean? It, 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 now, it, in, in some contexts, it, it took a little while for everybody to get that, but I'm like, I can vote. Like, there's not a king on the throne of the United States of America, and there ain't nothing we can do. Like, we can vote. That We live in a country where you can take an idea, and you can turn that idea into a product, and you can turn that product into a business. It's like it's the American way. I'm a pastor, and I'm also a business owner. It's the American way. And yet, even with all that... We are called to acknowledge our citizenship in the kingdom of God at a higher level than our citizenship in the United States of America because we're in the United States of America, but as Christians, ultimately we are not of it because we are royalty. We are from another realm. We are connected to the creator of the universe. This is who we are. Think of it this way. You and I, sisters and brothers, we are Wonder Women and Supermen. That's who we are. You know, Superman lives in the earthly realm. So I heard somewhere in New York, Metropolis, yeah, that's where he lives. So, and, and, and he goes by the earthly name Clark Kent, but that's not his real name because he's not from here. He's here on assignment. He's in this world, but Superman is not of this world. Matter of fact, if you really want to address him by who he really is, you would call him the son of Jarrell because his real identity is in his father who's not from here. And that's you, brother. 
Ultimately, your identity in Christ Jesus is, is, is formed into your citizenship in the kingdom of God, and your identity is no longer in an earthly identity, no matter what the government is, no matter what the country is. Your identity ultimately is in citizenship in the kingdom of God. Your father is not from here, and ultimately, neither are you. You're Superman. Sisters, you are Wonder Women. The Diana Princess, she's not from here. She's from some place where there's a bunch of supernatural, highly gifted wonder women. And, and she's here on assignment. Matter of fact, she has this lasso of truth. When this lasso is around you, you can't lie. I know every woman in here wishes you had that lasso, don't you? Every mama wishes she had the lasso of truth. Did you break the vase? I didn't break the vase. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. You wish you had that lasso. But in Christ Jesus, you have the identity of Wonder Woman, your royalty. Why are you living below your true identity? Here's a bigger question. How did Christianity go from being otherworldly, connected to the kingdom of God, to going national? How did Christianity become national. Let me give you the quick story how it happened. Christianity went from being connected to the kingdom of God to being connected to states and nations. How did that happen? Well, eventually there's a guy named Constantine who becomes the leader of the Roman Empire. While he's at war, he's in the midst of a battle, he sees this vision or he sees something up in the sky that looks like it's spelling the name of Christ in his language. Then they win the battle. So because of this, Constantine thought, Christ gave me victory in battle. So Constantine became a Christian. And then over time, Christianity became the state religion of the Roman Empire. But here's the deal. Instead of the kingdom of God transforming and changing the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire tried to change Christianity to make it look like Rome. So all of a sudden, Jesus looked Roman. The angels looked Roman. Moses looked Roman. Abraham and Sarah looked Roman. Everybody in the Bible all of a sudden looked like they were from Italy. They were from Rome. That's why when Mel Gibson did the Passion of the Christ, they casted an Italian guy to play Jesus. Not because the Jesus of the Bible was Italian, but because Constantine was. That's the history. Sometimes nations take something that is supposed to be otherworldly and make it worldly. Sometimes we take Jesus and we make Jesus look like us. Sometimes we try to repay God a favor. God made us in God's image, and we decided we were going to repay the favor and make God in our image. But we're not of here. We're of there. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, while we're here, there is definitely a role that we're supposed to play. But even that has to be clearly understood because in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, Peter says this to the persecuted, oppressed Christians. He says this, Submit yourselves 
for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Whoa, that's a lot. We're going to have to break that down. Because if you take that out of context, ooh-wee, as my grandmother used to say. Ooh-wee. Because when you first read that, you know what it sounds like? That Peter's saying, Christians, no matter what, you need to submit to authority figures, your government authority figures. No matter what, whatever they say, that's what you need to do. Whatever laws pass, that's the law you need to live by. You need to adopt it. You need to embrace it. You need to embody it because you are supposed to submit to all human authority. Here's the problem, though. If you take that text just literally the way I said it, Peter's a hypocrite because Peter's going to write some things after this. Peter has actually done some things that seem to oppose this text. First of all, he says the emperor is the supreme authority. Does he really believe that? I think he means he's the supreme authority in the culture in which we live, but he's not our supreme authority. He just talked about Jesus as the cornerstone, as the living stone. He's just said that Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior. So how can he say the emperor is the supreme authority? You got to put in context what he's saying. Second, if Peter is saying you have to do whatever the governing authorities tell you to do no matter what, He's a liar. You know why? Because when Peter himself was arrested for preaching Jesus, the government authorities said to Peter, read this in the book of Acts, they arrested Peter, they beat him, and then the governing authorities said, we're going to let you go, but you have to stop preaching Jesus. Don't you teach Jesus anymore. Stop doing that. That's what the government told him. And you know what he did? He left jail and kept preaching Jesus. I am a descendant of people who could not go into certain restaurants and movie theaters and certain universities. And so you know what they did? They prayerfully, nonviolently, led by the word of God, resisted. Now, the reason we know this is biblical is because they took their cues from people in the Bible, like Esther, who went to the king and defied a public policy that said they were going to kill all the Jewish people. You know why Daniel was in a lion's den all night? Because he went against the public policy that you couldn't pray in public. Do you know why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in a fiery furnace? Because they went against the public policy that said you had to worship Nebuchadnezzar and you couldn't worship Yahweh. Sometimes, lovingly, prayerfully, humbly, nonviolently, Christians have to rise up against things that are antithetical to the Bible when they come from the earth, but they don't come from God. This is why we have to be very careful to know that our ultimate identity is not in the political party of our preference, 
but in the promise of God through Christ Jesus and our eternal life connected to our citizenship in the kingdom of God. You and I are royalty. And finally, we are royalty because one, in Christ we are made holy and royal. Two, because in Christ we are not of this world. And three, because in Christ we are given kingdom authority. You are not just a citizen of God's kingdom. You and I are given the power and the authority to bring the kingdom of God here. Yes, this is why Jesus taught his followers to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You and I collectively, we're supposed to be a sneak preview of heaven. We're supposed to bring the elements of the kingdom of God into this broken, upside-down world right now. We're supposed to bring love and peace and truth, biblical justice, generosity, compassion, righteousness, holiness into an upside-down, sinful, broken world. Jesus Christ shows us this in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. As chapter 9 comes to a conclusion in verse 35, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless uh, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus, chapter 10, verse 1, called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Christ proclaims the kingdom. Christ demonstrates the kingdom. He heals He gives new life. He raises the dead. He sets the oppressed free. And then he gives you and I the power and the authority to do that until such time as Jesus returns. I heard an old preacher once say, when Jesus returns, this is ultimate justice. But until then, it's just us. God has decided that you and I would be the holiness, the righteousness, the justice, the truth, the love of God in New Albany, in the state of Indiana, and beyond. Your royalty, your royalty. As I close, sisters and brothers, a few years ago, comedian, talk show host, game show host, Steve Harvey hosted the Miss Universe pageant. And for the most part, he was doing a good job that night hosting the Miss Universe pageant. But at the very end, when it came time to crown Miss Universe, a mistake was made. Steve Harvey came out to the front and he looked at the teleprompter to announce which country Miss Universe would come from. The ladies, the runner-ups, the contestants, they were all standing there not knowing at the moment who 
the new Miss Universe would be. The Miss Universe from last year was standing there waiting to help crown the new Miss Universe. And Steve Harvey looked at the teleprompter and he said the name. And then he walked off stage. And as he stepped into the dressing room, feeling good about the night, somebody from the production team ran into the dressing room and said, Mr. Harvey, we have a problem. And he found out that the name on the teleprompter was the wrong name. Now, he had done his job. He read what was on the teleprompter. But risking his reputation, he came out of that dressing room, went back on the stage, and told the whole world that they had crowned the wrong person. The crown was on the wrong head. And Steve Harvey had to risk his popularity and his celebrity to tell the whole world that the crown was on the wrong head. I'm closing today to tell you that sometimes the church has to rise up and tell the whole world that the crown is on the wrong head. We put the crown on Hollywood. That's the wrong head. We put the crown on the education system. That's the wrong head. We put the crown on the financial system. That's the wrong head. We put the crown on the president. That's the wrong head. We put the crown on whoever is popular to you, but that's the wrong head. There's only one head that is worthy to wear the crown. His name is Jesus, Mary's baby, Alpha and Omega, the Prince of Peace, the wheel in the middle of the wheel. El Shaddai, the balm in Gilead, Yahweh, Yehoshua, and Yeshua. He was born of a virgin. He went to the cross. He died for my sins. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. Oh, only Jesus can wear the crown. King of kings, Lord of lords, the Messiah. What you know about Jesus? My King, my Savior, my Lord, my Master. And because of him, one day you will step into eternity and we will all wear a crown. You'll get your crown, sister. You'll get your crown, brother. But until then, all we get to do is announce the one who ultimately wears the crown. This is our mission in this world, to live as royalty, Wonder Woman, Superman. I'm going to close this in prayer, but I just want you to know, one, if you need prayer at the end of this service, you just sit right where you are and somebody from the prayer team here will come to you. Second, next weekend is baptism weekend. So maybe... There's somebody here that you need to say yes to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to take your royal place. So you can go out here to the living room and you can find out more about Baptism Weekend. And maybe next weekend is your weekend to step into royalty. Let's pray. 
God, I thank you for Northside Christian Church. I thank you for what you've done and what you are doing and what you will do in this place. God, let us not live below who you created us to be. Let us live as the ones made in your image, the beloved, and the ones through Christ Jesus made a holy nation and a royal priesthood. Let this be done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let the church say, Amen. God bless you. Thank you for letting me be here this weekend.